Listeners, this is another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast, your place for all things giant monsters. And usually we have my co host Matt with me, however, he is out of town. Um, so while he's out and about, I thought now would be a good time to uh, set up an interview. And today I have uh, the honor of speaking to uh, Mr. Ray Morton, who is a, uh, a script um, consultant as well as an author writing about film. Um, he wrote a book about the making of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, he uh, reviews movies uh, online, and he wrote a book that's particularly important to me, called King Kong, The History of a Movie Icon, from Fay Ray to Peter Jackson. Uh, this is a book that I've relied on for research purposes quite a bit um, in the history of this podcast. And Ray, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's awesome to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Um, so your book was published in 2005 it it basically covers the entire history of 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 king kong from the original movie all the way through just before the release of the peter jackson version so uh we're gonna catch up uh with you on all things kong today um but first just uh kind of getting to know you a little bit um aside from being you know, a uh, uh, a Kong historian and and researcher. How how did you become a fan of King Kong to begin with? What what about that character speaks to you personally so much? Right. Um, well, it two two phases actually. The first phase was when I was a kid, well, a little kid, maybe seven or eight. My dad, my dad's a big movie fan, and he had seen King Kong when he was a kid. So he sat me down one day and was like, oh, there's this great movie on that I want you to see. And that was the first time I ever saw the 1933 King Kong. And I was just entranced by it. Um, and I've often asked myself why, but I think there's just something about the character. Like, first of all, I love apes, um, though I'm not sure if I love apes because of King Kong or the other way around. I right. don't know. But... Um, <laughs> It's such an amazing film in that it creates its own sort of dreamlike world uh, with all of the sort of Gustave Doré-inspired settings and things. So it really pulled me in just as a film. And then the character is, is obviously spectacular and scary and then ultimately tragic. And I do remember at the end when they killed him, I couldn't believe it. Um, 
I also grew up in the New York area, so the fact that you know he was on top of the Empire State Building that had a lot of resonance. But uh, I think it was just sort of the whole mythic aspect of the character, the tragic aspect of the character that really pulled me in, and I really became a fan. And I would watch it anytime it was on, and then eventually caught up with Son of Kong, and then uh, the two uh, uh, Toho films, mm-hmm. uh, King Kong Escapes and King Kong versus Godzilla. So I was totally, you know, completely involved. And then in the mid-70s, when I was still younger, but obviously a little bit older than I was when I first saw the original, the De Laurentiis Kong was put into production. And that was the first film that I followed from. Basically, I heard about, I saw a big ad for it in the New York Times the one year before saying, you know, the film was going in production. I loved Kong, so I followed it every step of the way. And um, we got very excited from that point of view. And about that time, all of this great Kong stuff came out. The, the great um, George Turner book, The Making of King Kong, the original mm-hmm. film came out around that time. It was all these, uh, you know, the, uh, the original film was screened a lot, all sorts of material about the original film and the De Laurentiis. So, of course, if you liked Kong to begin with, I, I got totally uh, absorbed in it at that point. And then, you know, from then on, I've just been, you know, he's uh, my favorite movie character. So. Um. Yeah, that the the whole getting into seeing the original movie as a kid, I think that's kind of what does it for for all, a, yeah. a lot of us, yeah. you know. Um, yes. So, what made you decide to write this 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 book about the history of of Kong? Well, uh, a couple again, sort of a couple of different uh, phases. I'd always been obviously interested in the character and I'd done a lot of unofficial research. Um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd read books and I'd looked up things and, you know, eventually I ended up living in Los Angeles and working in the film business and, and so had started to meet one or two people at that time, you know, the few people left who had actually had something to do with the original film. And I just started thinking, you know what, I'm in the place where this movie was made and there were still some people around. And then also at that point, um, you know, I had run into people who work on the De Laurentiis picture. And I thought, you know what? Nobody's ever done. Obviously, there's the great George Turner book about the original film. But I said, nobody's ever done a book about all of the different versions of Kong. And that's kind of what got me started. And then I, I kind of made a list of everybody that I could find from any of the different versions. The first person I ended up interviewing for the book was... Um, Lorenzo Semple Jr., the guy who wrote the screenplay for the 70s version. And once that happened, I just started talking to all sorts of different people. It was a hobby project. And I just thought, someday I'll get all this information together and I'll figure out how to publish a book. And then, of course, Peter Jackson announced his film. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it became like, oh, publishers, you know, we want some King Kong books. And a friend of mine who was an author put me together with his agent. And and they sold the book almost immediately because they were just looking for all this um, tie-in material. And then I thought, you know what? This is a shot. I'm going to do the best possible job I can. And that began a very crazy six or seven months of getting the book researched and written and then finally put out. Um, would you say that uh, your interest in film and writing about film maybe began when you were a little kid seeing King Kong for the first time? Well, yes, partially. Um, 
I definitely had become interested in film. And part of that was definitely having seen the original Kong and being a fan and, and just researched everything I could figure out about movies. I followed films in production. So it definitely started with that being part of it. And it was just a love of film in general that really got me into it. Um, while we're in this kind of getting to know you, uh, uh, segment here um i do want to kind of just briefly bring up your career in script reading and consulting how how did you get involved in in that well well, since college i've always been interested in screenwriting and when i moved i moved out to los angeles to go to the american film institute as a screenwriting fellow and then I actually, I've written a number of produced scripts, so co-written produced scripts for TV, and have done a fair number of film scripts that have unfortunately never made it to the screen, but as every screenwriter knows, you know, we, we have way more unproduced things in our <laughs> pocket than produced things. But I did that on and off um, for a number of years and still do it um, uh, these days a bit. Um, and then what I found is people started giving me their scripts to look at for input, and it turned out I had a knack for doing pretty good, insightful analysis of screenplays. I did a lot of coverage work and analysis for producers. I did some for actual produced screenwriters who used me to kind of get their help them get their work in in um, in shape before they submitted it to people. Um, and then I started. Um, doing it for uh, up-and-coming writers as well. I kind of started a little business where I work with people on their scripts. So, you know, that was definitely um, a thing that I got interested in and did a lot of work in that area. And just have, I'm still keeping up with that at this point, too. Okay. Um, so we'd mentioned, you'd mentioned uh, a minute ago, you know, and it's still true, I, I think, your book is really the only Kong book to really get into the films beyond the original. Like, the original, for very good reason, has such a well-documented history. Yes. And, you know, it, 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 your book is still, like, the source to go to if you want to hear about, uh, you know, what went into King Kong Lives or, or something like that. And... and that was that just you feeling like those films really kind of weren't getting their due and kind of wanting to be able to expose the things um, that went right that went wrong and and just what the thinking was behind ma- the making of all these movies sure yeah um i mean i I definitely, obviously, love the original film. I'm also quite a big fan of the 76 version. Um, And I I felt that film hadn't gotten its due. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever written about that seriously. And I wanted wanted to write about that film seriously and, and do a good job on that. And then, you know, from there, it was also, you know, people have not really written only in the lightest ways about the uh, Toho pictures. Mm -hmm. And no one had written about King Kong Lives because it it didn't didn't (laughs) do well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I figured I figured, you know, I wanted to be complete. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm just a big fan of the character. So I'm like, boy, if you're going to do it, you want to do the whole character. And also, as you track all of the films, you know, the character holds a really specific and important place in pop culture. Right. 
not just because of the original film, but also because of all of the things the other films have added, whether the films were good or not, they've all enhanced right, the character yeah. in some way or another. And I thought, you know what, Let me. I want to just do all of it up until that point. And obviously there have been quite a few things since, which... I'm working on that too. Gonna doing an update at some point. Okay, so, I, you know that yeah. that is on my list of topics. We'll we'll get back to that. Um, sure, but uh, yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, um, I'm just a nerd for giant monster movies, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, Kong, Godzilla, like it's like I eat it like daily, <laughs> you know. Sure, and, and, sure. <laughs> and it's like especially with a franchise like Godzilla, it's in the 30 some the 36 movies or something and it's like, yeah, I might not yes. like all of them. And same thing with Kong. It's like it is super fun to like see how these characters evolve. Like same with the Universal Monsters, like I love Frankenstein, Dracula. It's fun to see like some of the most famous pop culture elements from those characters might not have even come from the original films you know like yes like igor yes. in frankenstein he mm-hmm. he showed up as a uh a, a, a broken necked like uh uh convict and son yeah. of frankenstein yeah. and everyone remembers him as the doctor's assistant and it's like that right. didn't <laughs> that didn't come until way later and same thing like godzilla people don't realize like started as a very serious somber like yep. message about the, yep. the the horror of war and <laughs> nuclear nuclear bombs mm. and now he's you know uh, he's idolized as as a heroic character and same with kong you know uh, the original kong you know that that's a movie largely about you know how we exploit and treat animals and now he's you know this heroic figure and and yeah, it, it's always interesting to see the evolution of those things, and that's why I, I really like books like this. Like, um, there's a few Godzilla ones, but this is still like top dog when it comes to just tracking the history of Kong. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I like I said. I mean, this is the anytime I I do a discussion about Kong for this show, it's like that's the first thing I pull off the shelf. Um, <laughs> But I, speaking of, um, I think the Toho films have have gotten a little bit more uh, research on them in the last ten or so years. You know, um, there's been right, books probably, like the yeah. the book about uh, Ishiro Honda, the director of Godzilla, and the two yes. Toho films. Um, uh, but at the time, your book w- was one of the ones that went into more detail, and especially with King Kong Lives, which. Still to this, and Son of Kong, really, you know, Son of Kong, mm-hmm, Son of mm-hmm. Kong and King Kong Lives are, are like the two redheaded stepchildren of of the yes. Kong films. <laughs> um, were those more difficult to kind of dig into and research? Um, a little harder because there isn't as much on them, obviously. Uh, Son of Kong was really interesting because a lot of the a lot of the material that I was able to research came um, was sort of buried in the King Kong research material, and and some of it I didn't even get to till after the book came out. So when I if I update the book, I'm going to be updating the the chapter on Son of Kong. Yeah, it was a lot harder to find stuff. Yet there is still some key things still around. One of the great resources 
that I used is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has a research library out here and they have original like studio material and studio records, a lot of stuff that, that you couldn't really find anywhere else. That helped me a lot because what I kind of realized is most of the stuff that's been written by on Son of Kong came from um, uh, uh, Forrest Ackerman when he did Famous Monsters magazine. And what I kind of learned later is he made up a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so, yeah. Well, let's not, a lot for, of the infor- <laughs> let's not forget yeah, exactly. he, he's, I think uh, the two endings to King Kong versus Godzilla came from his, it, it, two, yeah. which that is, uh, am- it's amazing. Right. <laughs> it is amazing how much I still see that come up. It's like the easiest... Yeah rumor yep. to debunk but it's it still holds for whatever reason <laughs> well, one of the most interesting and sometimes frustrating aspects of working on these pop culture projects is there is so much misinformation out there and you're right even like my book is out there for anyone who wants to read it yet i still see the rumors that hopefully I debunked mm-hmm. constantly repeated. I I'm like, I think these things yeah. just have a life of their own. <laughs> I've, I've run into that with this podcast too. There's a, there's another rumor that we're going to get to in in a little a little bit that drives me sure. crazy. So I'm sure you'll you'll um, you'll relate. Um, so before I do that, though, uh, we uh, since 2005. We've had a slew of Kong stuff. I mean, yes. so the Peter Jackson mm-hmm. movie that your book leads up to before it comes out, and then also, I mean, comics, uh, video games, novels, uh-huh. um, and w- we basically just completed another cycle of Kong films. So um, yep. I, yep. I kind of just want to, you know, quickly go down the list. Um, and kind of, kind of see where you are with with each of these, and kind of, you know, c- catch up with you. Now, I have read your reviews of some of these films, so I, I know the answer in advance <laughs> to some of this. Um, but uh, we'll start with the where where we left off with with your book, which was the Peter Jackson movie. How do you think that one yes. uh, turned out? Um, I have mixed feelings about mm-hmm. it. I think there's some great things in it. I also think there's some things that I really wish they hadn't done. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I, my my complaint about it is that unlike the first two films, it didn't really add anything new to the Kong myth. Um, it actually, it, I want to correct myself. It added one really great thing, but it happened very it happened very quickly in the film. You, you see Kong come into his lair and he passes the skeletons right, yeah, yep. of old Kong. And I thought the idea that Kong is the last of this great species, I loved that. And I thought, that's terrific. But otherwise, I felt like it kind of just did the scenes from both of the other films. It took a lot from the 1976 version. Yeah. Um, which which is interesting, interesting because Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson is not yes he, he, does, he doesn't complimentary think, yeah right it. he yeah. does not think uh very uh fondly of that film right and so i thought that was interesting for for that reason so like i think there's things in it that are great there's i think the whole battle on the empire state building is 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 really very spectacular um i think it's too long yeah um and i think there i and i think he got a little carried away there's too much extraneous 
dinosaur and or mm-hmm. other creature action it, the film should have been much tighter and i i would say i mean there's a lot i like about it but i'd say it's my of the three major versions it's number three for yeah. me i'm i'm yeah. i'm with you in thinking it's too like every time i watch it i think like there's an amazing movie in here someone just yeah. needs to yeah. cut out all this stuff that is not needed especially like that first yeah, hour yeah. is especially brutal because it's it's you're just hanging around with a lot of characters on the boat and i and i and i understand you know okay you're you're build you're doing your character building here but there's a lot of characters that do take up screen time that like we don't even see after <laughs> you know after right, they leave the right, island right. and it's like you know you could yeah. chuck all that out and you could have a great movie you know get rid of that brontosaurus stampede <laughs> um, <laughs> yes please <laughs> but, but the stuff in it that i like i really love so yeah it's i'm i'm with you it's like a it's it's definitely a mixed bag um okay so um here's where it might get a little rough for <laughs> you and maybe some uh some some um apologists of the of the newer films um mm-hmm. but next up we have kong skull island um i know what you're yes. gonna say but i want you to <laughs> to, to have your moment here <laughs> yeah i'm not a fan not a fan um i i my biggest problem with it from uh, from a kong point of view is that he's completely extraneous to the story, except for maybe the final showdown with Samuel L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. Like he he comes to, they come to the island and and Kong is there, but the movie really spends its time on a whole bunch of other stuff. And every once in a while Kong wanders through and, and then he has a big fight with Samuel L. Jackson, which is all really in Samuel L. Jackson's head. You know, he's, <laughs> right, he's yeah. <laughs> mad at Kong because Kong represents Vietnam or something, you know. Um, and I just, just I, I thought, I really felt like it was a placeholder. Like, I knew they were planning to do a Godzilla yeah. versus Kong. And, it's kind and of I think they just like made a... that movie so that you'd know Kong. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, a, and it's, I just, it's introducing I you to the world more than it is... Kong right it doesn't tell a story and the thing is that Kong you know one of the problems with Kong is he's really constructed to tell one story and the story is that you know that he is brought low by his affection for the human woman which is either Faye Ray Jessica Lange or Naomi Watts when you when you take him out of that you have to do something else with him and obviously the the Japanese films one he fought Godzilla, so that mm-hmm. was cool. And King Kong escapes. They did give him some sort of connection with uh, Linda Miller. It's interesting. Even though it King Kong escapes is the yeah. one that I think was the first time they had the female protagonist like uh, sympathize with him. Yes, that is that is that, right. That goes yeah. back to our discussion and, about you know how. You know, a lot of the most popular elements of stuff comes from <laughs> something people that might not comes have seen. You comes know? from Mudsley? Yeah. E- exactly. And, and you know, they, they did a fun thing with Kong in that film by basically fights another Kong mm-hmm. in that case, you know, Mechanic Kong. But Skull Island, he didn't do anything except in the end he did fight with Jackson. And that was it. 
and otherwise, like I, I mean, this is my personal feeling, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but my problem with a lot of the legendary monster verse is I don't care about Monarch. Like they spend a lot of time on Monarch, and it never pays off into anything. Um, and I, I didn't love the designs of the creatures or things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so it just that that one felt like a bit of a dud to me. Um, okay, no, I mean that's. I, I really like that movie, but I I don't necessarily I also don't necessarily think what you're saying is wrong, um, be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it it is there to like try and and do this world building thing and and I even say this as someone that enjoys the legendary films to different degrees you know there's some that I've liked more than others yeah. but their main failing has been at the whole cinematic universe idea you know yes. I mean none yeah. of them really carry over any characters in any meaningful way anyway i mean you know right. the the second godzilla carries over ken watanabe and stuff but i mean these aren't really characters that we're spending much time with so we're not really invested in them i always yeah. said like why not like uh, that that whole um four movie run we should have followed the same characters and kind of had them develop over time skull island i agree skull island you can have I mean, this would require a dramatic rewriting of all the characters in the other movies, but Skull Island could have followed somebody. Um, I don't know. We'll just say David Strathairn's character. Well, I guess he's a military guy, so that wouldn't really work. But mm-hmm. I don't know. A young Sarazawa maybe went to Skull Island, and yeah, or, or something yeah. like that. And and it, that's always been a frustrating thing for me. Is like, I mean, that's the one opportunity this series had to do that was really different from. The other Godzilla and Kong um, continuities is yes. like really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really weave in uh, like a real story that spans multiple films, and it's like, okay, all of them are basically standalone. So what's even the yes. <laughs> you know, What's even the yeah. point? Well, even the most recent one didn't have much to do with Skull Island. Like uh, right, they actually yeah. start Kong in a completely different place. And and my thought is, well, you guys could have just made that movie if that's what you wanted to do. Um, yeah, it, it, I feel like the whole legendary thing is a bit of a missed opportunity. Some good things in it. I, mm-hmm. I think probably the best one is still the God, the first Godzilla, and even that, you know, has its flaws. But it, but that felt like okay, you guys are starting on something new. The rest of them didn't didn't quite do that. Yeah. For me, so. um... Yeah, the I'm I'm in I'm I'm kind of in a minority there, and and my favorite mm-hmm. of uh, Skull Island's probably my favorite of the four, to be honest. But after that, it probably is the okay. 2014 mm-hmm. Godzilla, which gets a lot of flat. I mean, they're all very flawed. <laughs> you know? Yes, agreed, um, agreed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what? Well, um, before I move on, one thing that. I don't, well, I don't know. Uh, this might open up a little tangent, but that's okay. Um, okay. But I, it is relating to Skull Island. Um, I think everyone can agree the most problematic aspect of Kong in every version, whether it's the original or, or I mean, it, it is the natives, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not. It's it's. Uh, definitely working with some outdated racial stereotypes it's probably the most uncomfortable thing for us fans to kind of confront um whether that's the original movie or the you know japanese people in blackface and king kong versus godzilla (laughs) 
the uh, yes. the 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 savages in Peter Jackson's movie. But uh, I actually think that the Skull Island, the best thing that they did, and it's still not perfectly handled, but was making the natives more of like a pacifist community. You know, they weren't really, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't out to, you know, sacrifice anybody. They weren't impaling people or <laughs> cutting their heads off right, or whatever. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yes. Is that, yeah. do, you, do you feel like that is a statement you would agree with? Or what? how do you really feel about the, the change in, in the islanders? Right. Um, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think I think that is the film of all of them that did the most to give the natives a culture to to make them real characters as opposed to, you know, old movie tropes, you know, which has all of the racial and cultural issues to them. Um, I, again, I, I, my, I have mixed feelings, which is I don't think any of the elements of that film were particularly successful. But I, I did like that they made that attempt. And you're right, they gave him a culture that wasn't um, native sacrifice and things. They did kind of put the wall in there a little bit, yeah. but they didn't really say <laughs> what it was for. And I thought, okay, that's fine. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if... Um, do you? I, I don't know if maybe it's Jackson being like a horror guy, but do you have any opinion or thoughts on maybe why his version was so so brutal and savage it's funny um i i don't know why he chose to go that way it's almost more regressive in certain ways than the other one (laughs) well what what's funny is i i had done an interview with uh philip aboyans one of the co-writers prior to the that film's release and she talked and she had an idea that I loved, which was they made it a matriarchal culture instead of like, so instead of sacrificing, you know, the virgin bride and that kind of thing, the idea was that, that they didn't really do the sacrifices except they were sort of punishing the outsiders for their trespassing um, in this matriarchal culture. Uh, and they did it by choosing the woman in, in, in the group. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way of getting around the, the you know, the, the stereotype version. But then none of that was in the movie <laughs> yeah, or, or it was in there, there but it, it was like suggested. And then they, instead it's all this vicious cutting heads off and all of that. I think the idea was to make them more formidable. You know, they weren't just this um, tribe that the outside we're going to come in and you know take over and all that like these are actual you know um opponents and things but but it was kind of gross and 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 the problem is i any of that paid off if that was the idea because in the end the story is the story Mm -hmm. and they do have to capture kong so whether you make the natives you know formidable or not in the end they they don't they only play the one role they play. And so I don't think they found a successful f- solution for that yeah. in, in the Peter Jackson version. And it, it was, it was weird. It was really weird. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, okay. Here's another one. Uh, so Godzilla versus Kong is, is, uh, mm-hmm. following skull Island. Um, 
before you before I, I give you the 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 room here this is what again sure. i'm a little bit of an apologist for for a lot of movies like i mm. i'm like one of four people that likes king kong lives <laughs> you know i realize it's a horrible okay. movie. It, it's not a good movie at all you know but it's one that you know i can't i, I there's a certain kind of 80s campy almost grindhousey kitsch to it that i just like um mm-hmm. Okay. No, no. I I only say that because I read your review of Godzilla vs Kong, and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, I really enjoy this movie, but nothing he's saying is wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a little bit. Uh, it it is a little bit all over the place. But um, so that that was kind of, I guess, what all this recent Kong mania was leading up to this big crossover. Um, so I want you to share your thoughts on, on how, how that, that movie turned out. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say this. I liked it better than I liked Kong Skull Island because at least it had sort of a purpose for Kong. He, he had some reason to be in the story and I did like certain elements of it. Like I thought the idea of having him in his own little, um, his own little biosphere, was really cool where they have him in the beginning. Like I thought, well, gee, if you, if you were going to have Kong around, that's probably something you do, especially in this. I always feel like these films take place about 15 minutes into the future, you know, right, when there's yeah, enough yeah. technology to do some of these things. So I liked that a lot. The part I liked the most and really wanted them to do so much more with is, you know, Kong works when Kong has some sort of connection with a human character and they set it up great with the the little girl who was deaf and who mm-hmm. could sign with Kong. I thought that was really original and you know obviously coming off the whole Coco the Gorilla thing. And and I thought that's a great twist, a great idea to throw into a Kong movie. And then they didn't do anything with it. Right. And like it doesn't play a part in any of it. So I felt like well I love the idea but I was disappointed they didn't do much with it. And then, you know, well, you read my review. Otherwise, I feel like, I feel like it's, it was 50 different ideas for a movie mm-hmm. thrown together. Um, and I just, I just, I don't know. At a certain point, I was like, I'm not, I don't really get what's going on, and I don't care that much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that I, kind I of thing. A lot uh, of that yeah. isn't just the, the mon- I mean, that's kind of something that is in a little bit of most of these MonsterVerse films, but... I think that's more a symptom of just how these big, huge blockbuster movies are made now is like, absolutely, they come off an assembly line, you know, like, yeah, well, what they do is they all sit down and make a laundry list of things they want in the movie, and then they try to hammer a script together around it. Yeah, it's not how you tell a story. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's really like the, these movies are so expensive now that, they yeah. feel like they need to have something for literally everybody in them. So there's yes, so yeah. much stuff going on, and you know, and and not only that, but it's like you know, we we need to make sure it's a big hit in China, and and so after a while, you're left with something that feels a little like way more processed, and you know, it's it's not you know. The Godzilla and Kong franchise is more a victim of. I mean, I guess it's a little bit always been this way. They're a victim. They're victims of 
the times they were made in, what the budgets are like, what what the the system is right. like, and yes. and you definitely see that here in you know ways that aren't are are, it, are unfortunate. It is very much a yeah, it is very much a two thousand twenties studio paint numbers blockbuster story construction yeah. like in, in in 30 years it, it, we will be able to watch these and be like yep that was made in you know oh yeah in, in, <laughs> in 2019 yep. 2020 it, the, the the other problem i think they had which they didn't have in king kong versus godzilla part of the problem when you do this giant monster movie do any other kind of movie you need a protagonist and you yeah. need an antagonist. Somebody's got to be the good guy. Somebody's got to be the bad guy. In the 60s one, you know, people forget now. You will know this because you're a student of this stuff. Godzilla was a villain. Oh, yeah. In in the first two Godzilla films. And he is a villain in King Kong versus Godzilla. And he was supposed to be defeated. And you wanted King Kong to come in and defeat him. So you had a good guy and a bad guy. Because these films make the monsters the heroes, mm -hmm. you now have two good guys fighting against each other, which means number one, it never works yeah. because you gotta make you gotta give sort of both of them a grudge and that never works. And then the other problem is you have to end it with a draw because you can't kill off one of them. You kill off Godzilla in the sixties one. You can't kill him off in this one. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm really not were... even sure which one was Well, yeah. it's like okay, Godzilla wins the Hong Kong fight, but then, sort of. yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, but, 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 well, you know, it's like, oh, Kong is dying, he needs to be resuscitated, whatever, but then to get around upsetting mm -hmm. the Kong fans, you know, they bring Kong back and, and have right. him take out Mechagodzilla, which, I don't know, I, I guess you kind of, it's, it, 1962 was different because it was like, Godzilla was the new kid on the block, mm. and I, I think, um, yeah, and and I think your your book is one of the few um, books written by you know the the really the Kong scholar side to really kind of address like yeah. mm -hmm. it's obvious that you know Tsuburaya and his guys were Kong fans. You know, I mean, yeah, the suit looks terrible. It's the worst yeah. looking King Kong ever. But the character is <laughs> is clearly like the one that they want to win and you know it's not until all these years later right, where there's so right. many more godzilla movies that now you get into the well it might have been a draw well maybe godzilla won and he's swimming away or whatever mm. but it's very clear to me yeah. that yeah they they wanted kong to win i mean you think like okay let's say you create a superhero and your favorite character is batman and dc is like go make batman fight your character it's like are you gonna have your guy win <laughs> you know um Right. Well, that was the, they already had that problem with that horrible Batman verse. <laughs> exactly. Like, I want him to be the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like I like both of these guys. Like, right. You know, yeah. You can't. It doesn't. It never works. It never ever works. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and and that's the problem. He kills Kong, or Kong is certainly seriously wounded in the final battle. But he can't kill him because we like like Kong's not the bad guy; he's a good guy. And the and the movie focuses more on Kong than it does on Godzilla. Yeah. So it's sort of like, well, why does Godzilla win? And then, but because <laughs> it is the time we're in, King Kong can't die, so they bring him back and he beats up Mecha Godzilla. And you're like, I don't know what you guys are going for here. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. 
It's funny. Um, before the movie came out, uh, we did like our own like for the podcast. We did like our own fan commentary uh, on um, the original King Kong versus Godzilla, and you know, I always like to kind of okay. do a deep dive into the research of those things. I really like that movie. I'm from your 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 book is a little. Um, you know, you're 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 a little more mixed on it, um, but yeah, like in reading, is, I mean, at least with the Japanese version of King Kong versus Godzilla, right? Because the American version is just yeah, a, a mess. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, yeah. But I came across a quote because I have the the biography on um, Ishiro Honda. I came across a quote in there mm. about how when they were like, yeah, we want to do King Kong versus Godzilla, he was thinking, like, this is really stupid, it's just a, a yeah, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a crass commercial gimmick, you know, get these two major characters together and make a bunch of money at the box office. And so that's kind of why, he, why, why they really wanted to go the route of using it to kind of be a, a satire of, you know, commercialism and the rising relevance of TV right, right. and stuff like that. And and he said, uh, if you, and this, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it's very close. He said, if your movie is just about Godzilla and King Kong fighting, you're going to make something really stupid, which is why we wanted to do a, some kind of social satire with ours. And yes. lo and behold, <laughs> right. you know, that's exactly <laughs> what happened is, you know, you made a movie just on the basis of these monsters coming together. And it's like, you don't really have much else to offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the Japanese one is fun. Um, I I don't know that you can argue it's a great film, but it's an entertaining film, um, and and it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. like you accept sort of all the conventions of of kaiju and all that, and yeah. and yes, they add the they. Add, my thought is, I. I I'm I'm trying to actually remember what I wrote about it. Um, it's been a while. I, I I don't put it in the same league with the best of the Kong films, but I I I'll, I'll watch it all yeah, the time. You yeah. know, it's a very entertaining picture. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. and and you've I mean, uh, I think the only way to get it here now is in the Criterion box set. But the the Japanese version, thank God, is finally at least like available in the United yeah. States. You know, you yeah, don't have to. Yeah. I know you don't have to kind find some missing. bootleg somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong is one of those movies that like I enjoy. I enjoy it. I've Hello? watched it a few times. It's fun, but it's like. I can't in good consciousness say it's up there with the best of the Godzilla and Kong movies. Like not that crazy. (laughs) No, I, I, I I think you could do a good, an interesting Kong film that isn't just doing a remake. And I, I, I felt like the filmmakers of this most recent one, their hearts were definitely in the right place, but I just I think they were defeated by the script and by yeah. I think the demands of the production. Like it the was committee, watchable, the, the, but I, the committee right. thinking kind of Hollywood mentality. Yeah. I, I feel like if you gave any of these guys, you know, I guess you know, write a Kong movie, make a Godzilla versus Kong movie, without a hundred studio notes, you know, I think I think yeah. they yeah. there there could have been more there. Yeah. Um, you left out the Broadway musical. 
Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually, I was going to say, that perfect segue. Um, so now, yeah. getting out of films, um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask, what were your thoughts on the, the Broadway musical? Which I think people can watch a pro-shot version of it on YouTube, maybe. Now. Oh, can they? Um, maybe. I, yeah, um, I don't want anyone to quote me f- on that. But uh, I, know, I know at sure. least there's pro-shot segments of it. Um, yeah. Okay. Have, did you see it? I didn't see it, but one of my friends that, uh, lives in New York went and saw it and he came on this podcast to, to talk about it. Um, and then other than that, I've seen some clips and some behind the scenes stuff and I watched, uh, I think it was two years ago. They, they showed us uh, a pro shot segment from it, um, on the Thanksgiving parade or or something. So, um, I haven't seen it in its entirety. Yes. Well, um, the way that I will put it is they built an awesome Kong puppet and then they put a Broadway show around it. And as a Broadway show, it's an awesome puppet. Uh, (laughs) That is literally what every single, like every single person I've heard that's seen it has said exactly that. It's like, go for the puppet. um, (laughs) The puppet was great, although interestingly, and this this I was scratching, I saw with um, one of my brothers saw it with me, and he he had a funny comment, but but they built this wonderful puppet, but then they wrote a show in which a, they wrote a bunch of stuff for Kong to do that the puppet couldn't do. <laughs> so there's like literally a scene where Kong has a when Kong actually fights the T Rex. Um, they, they couldn't do that on stage. So Kong literally goes behind the scenery and you just hear the fight. <laughs> you don't see the fight. You hear the fight. I'm like, you know, guys, you have to build the puppet to do the stuff in the script or you have to change the script. <laughs> um, so there were some moments with the puppets that were wonderful, but then there was moments where the puppet clearly couldn't do it. Otherwise, I, I would have to say it probably was one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, you yeah. are you are not alone. That that's like seriously every everyone that I know or any reviews I've read. It's all it, it's been that. That's like yeah. the overwhelming yeah. consensus. <laughs> you, you will you will not find me contradicting that. <laughs> so. Um, one thing that is interesting, just a quick uh, like as a sidebar. Um, I think casting Anne as a, uh, with a, an African-American actress is probably mm. the right move just because there's so much intentional or not. There is so much like, like subtext that can be read into Kong and a blonde woman. Um, right. It's uh, right. if, if I, I, I really don't need another one, you know, but if <laughs> they remake yeah. it again, I feel like that's probably the best choice to make but i mm-hmm. i i always want more kong films but yeah i don't i don't want another yeah. remake yeah um, no I, I i they may have gone to the well i will tell you this i do not remember her name but the actress in the play i thought she did fine she 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 was appealing and and did a good job it's just what they gave her to do was bad. Yeah. My issue with the character in the play, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you know, they said it in the 30s, 
and they wrote a very modern woman and like they will often do in period pieces mm -hmm. now where they're really and it just doesn't it didn't work yeah. and it was um I, I nothing against the actress she did she did a good job she just was she had dreadful material to <laughs> to to work with so so i feel i hope she landed another show because she was decent um now there's also been like a ton of different comic books and novels there's uh is it joe joe, joe devito yeah, yeah yeah he's got like a whole kong universe in literature there's mm -hmm. been so much material like in the last 15 years have you kept up with any of any of that at all uh some of it i can't say that i that i have uh, looked at it encyclopedically but um i've seen some of joe devito's stuff and some of the other uh spin-off books and I've I've read a number of the comics. Again, probably don't haven't read them completely. I do figure at some point I'm just going to acquire them all because I, I do want to read them. Most of that is comes because I I don't know if you how clear you are on the whole rights situation. Oh God, I but, uh, um, that, that's yeah, yeah no that's something that yeah. we definitely are going to bring up. But yeah, the rights situation is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Well, all of the all of the comics and the novels and and all of the Joe Devito stuff comes from uh, Richard Cooper, Marion right. Cooper's yep. son, because they had his the Cooper's estate has all the literary rights, and basically to maintain the literary rights, you have to every so often publish new material mm -hmm. like that. That way, they can keep it going. That's what all of that's yeah. about. So, I've some of the stuff I've read has been cool. Some of it is. You know, we're in an interesting era in terms of pop culture storytelling where we we have to tell the backstory of every single thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and <laughs> some of it's interesting and some of it's like, you know what, I don't need to know this, but okay. Yeah. You know, um and, and, he also, and they got him crossing like, over everywhere. He's he's meeting Doc Savage and Tarzan and Planet right. of the Apes. And yes. <laughs> yeah. The Planet of the Apes one crack me up because like well that was certainly an interesting way to go <laughs> with that <laughs> but but why not right i guess um yeah. uh so um i guess getting getting back to some of the more um uh i guess i want to jump back to the original movie uh with with just Kong thematically, you know, that's a character that is rooted in, you know, it's how we treat wild, nature, wildlife, how we exploit them. Um, and and Marion Cooper was very famously kind of like a real life Carl Denham. And yes. I've always kind of wondered, and I, I mean, this is where we're getting into kind of theoretical stuff that you might not have an answer for, but it, it, obviously. Uh, we're the villains in Kong. You know, Kong is a character that should not have been removed from his habitat, and he is killed horribly. Do you think that somewhere in there that that might have been some kind of expression of maybe how Cooper might have exploited animals in his earlier films? I don't think so. Um, I think that I think that interpretation of the story is a more modern one. Co Cooper's point of view on it was very different. Uh, like like Kong was not the hero of the original film. Kong is the villain, mm -hmm. and and th and it's what's the weird part is because when we look at it from a modern perspective, Carl Denham is the villain. 
Right. And, and actually, when they did the '70s version, you know, they made that character who was Fred yep. Wilson. He was an app out and out villain. Cooper did not see Denim as a villain. Um, and you have to remember, you know, Cooper came out of the Edwardian period, and they had a very different point of view about, um, you know, uh, exploration and about um, and about uh, you know wildlife and things like that. Um, most of what the original Kong comes out of is the myths about gorillas because gorillas were only um, uh, people from the West only encountered gorillas for the first time in like the late 1890s and kind of like a lot of wildlife encounters in those days it was very fleeting they didn't get up close with them so so gorillas were mysterious and if you read accounts from that time they're routinely described as well they're 12 feet tall and they're really <laughs> ferocious and, and all of that kind of thing um you know and gorillas obviously aren't any of those things but that was so kong comes out of that conception of what gorillas were and what wildlife and and cooper was very principled in his way but he was a man of his time um he did a lot of exploring around the world and met many tribes and cultures and he was very respectful of them and the interesting thing for all of the um the flack the original film gets and correctly i'm you know i'm not making an apology for it um he and the and and Shodzak and ruth rose did not see the native tribe as as like a stereotype they mm-hmm. they actually based them on on some different um different people the, the language is actually from a tribe they encountered i forget where but it's an actual real language it's not like just made up hollywood gobbledygook language the the place it falls apart and this is cooper's edwardian and maybe even his victorian uh, uh upbringing is when it comes down to it all the stuff about gorillas running away with white women and native sacrifice that comes out of the pulp literature of the time and he was just a big a fan of that stuff so he kind of melded a real serious approach and respect to things with this pop thing and and that's why i think it's a little kind of all over the place yeah. that way a little bit um yeah <clears throat> but but thematically he really saw it as an adventure story about like he he liked adventurers and he wanted it to be about the ultimate adventure. He didn't have any sort of message in mind or concept in mind, though that did come in later and and I think is completely legitimate. Yeah, know? it's interesting. Um, we're this is going to tie into my next question, but uh, mm-hmm. it reminds me um, in an interview Quentin Tarantino said one of the reasons he considers Kong. Uh, what he called an accidental masterpiece is because of kind of what you just said in that they weren't really going for a a really, you know, a heavy metaphor or anything, but they did it anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, 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 and that, and there's a reason why the, and the fact that that's become like what people know is, you know, the metaphor for Kong almost as much as, Godzilla and the atom bomb is is because right, of right. of what is it's on the screen it's it's in the text of the movie but it's right, it's not right. something that they f- realized they were like it's like they were saying it on accident 
<laughs> almost. Well, well, why I think that is and why I think it works so well and why, honestly why we're talking about it 90 or almost 90 years later is in assembling the story, he, he I think sometimes on purpose and sometimes just by accident because you pull things to create a story out of, you know, cultural things and tropes and all of that. It's a very archetypal story. And, he, and the thing about archetypes is that, um, I mean, this, this gets a little heady and this is nothing that Cooper would have ever talked about. But it goes to all of the Carl Jung, the collective unconscious, the collective myth, and, and all the stuff that Joseph Campbell did. Archetypal stories push buttons in us they, because they appeal to sort of the sort of, um, you know, the, the sort of our primitive narrative instincts in the sense that, you know, we know what a hero is. We know what a villain is. We know, like, I mean, the thing that makes Kong work is he's brought down by his affection for this woman. That is such a fairy tale. That is such a myth type of story. That that and, and it matches all the other myths that have ever been done about all sorts of things. It just pushes those buttons in us. And I think what that does is it makes it an appealing story to begin with, but then it also allows us to interpret it in all sorts yeah. of ways. Because then the environmental and the 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 animal exploitation angle that you're talking about, that's one of only uh, many, many right. interpretations. Yep. It, it was, it's been interpreted as about colonialism. It's mm -hmm. been interpreted as, as a racial tale, as an exploitation tale, like a, a natural resources exploitation or just a resource, you know, strip mining of a country thing. All sorts of things. It's, it's a rape metaphor, if, according to some people. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, that because it is so archetypal, it allows you to have yeah. all of those interpretations. And they're all valid. I don't think Cooper intended any of them, to be right. honest with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's interesting because I think someone that probably did have, I think, a sympathetic view of Kong and why we, almost anyone you show the movie to does, is because mm. I think... I think Willis O'Brien approached Kong yes. from a different angle than Cooper and, and Shodzak mm -hmm. did. Yeah. You know, I, I think everything that he puts into it is in, you know, th that's all Willis O'Brien in, in making Kong so human-like. That's where we get, you know, our hero, <laughs> you know, out of Kong. Yeah. Well, he, he gave him a character. Mm-hmm. And, and that character is both terrifying, but also funny and tragic. And, and you know, some of that, I mean, all of the personality is O'Brien for sure. You almost wonder and, and if, if anyone else did it, how it would have turned out, you know? Yeah, well, the answer is you can watch lots of other giant monster <laughs> yes, films, and absolutely. most of the time they have, they have no feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, O'Brien was a wonderful craftsman and a wonderful artist and a very personal artist i think and cooper wanted a lot of that stuff in there too i mean i don't i don't know that he you know that he maybe thought about it as deeply as o'brien did because o'brien had to create the behavior that would make the character but um but yeah i mean i mean that's the the cool thing about the film is that is he has our sympathy even though he's not in, he, not necessarily that he wasn't intended to, but narratively wise, he he is not yeah. a hero. 
But like a, all tragic uh, creatures, you, he's going to poke some sympathy for us. And I actually think the 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 thing that makes it memorable is the original film and our affection for it. Yeah. I think that I think both of those things are what create why it ends up having the potential that it does. Um, well, I, and you kind of alluded the uh, alluded to this a moment ago, but did did you happen to see uh, Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino movie? I did. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, what did you think of the the scene um, where they're playing the game and they 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 relate Kong to the experience of uh, a slave? You know, bringing being brought over in chains, being exploited. And killed, mm-hmm. and you know, because that's another read. Is you know, it's it could be a metaphor for yeah. the the black experience in America. Yeah, um, I mean, I I can't say it stuck with me. I remember the scene, and I've heard that. I mean, that's not an original metaphor yeah. to Tarantino. You know, I've I've read that metaphor on and off for years, or interpretation that metaphor uh, for years and years and years. Um, so, but I mean, I you know when he came up, I thought, well, that that's Quentin. He he knows he knows his <laughs> movies and his movie lore. Um, and you know, I mean, again, anything you know, Nicholas Meyer has this great um, uh, uh, point of view on this stuff. He's like, once the movie or the novel or whatever leaves the creator's hands, it then be it belongs to the audience. Yeah, well, the death and the of audience. The, what is it? The death of the writer or something? I don't know. There's a there's a uh, term for that. That might be, yeah, I, I'm not familiar, but, um, and the thing is, any interpretation anyone wants to have of that story, if that's what it means to them, then that's what it means mm. to them. And, I mean, I, I tend to look at it more from its mythological and fairy tale aspects. Uh, that's what speaks to me about it. And also, I, I relate to it on a, the, the sort of the technical and creative accomplishment part. I, I, I can see those metaphors in it. Um, and my thought is all are valid, but I, I, I always tend to tack back a little bit more towards the fairy tale and mythic elements of it. I think that's what grabbed me when I was young, and I think it's what still grabs me now. You mm-hmm. know? Um, all right, so uh, we're talking about the original movie, and I, I, I warned you I was going to do this. And that's okay. <laughs> some rumor control here, because this is all the right. one that, out of all of them, drives me insane. <laughs> and that is... Okay. I've never found, and, and I've become like obsessed with debunking this just because I've never found a single piece of information, mm-hmm. reliable information from the source to back it up. And that is that um, <laughs> models from the cut spider pit sequence were later repurposed for the Black Scorpion in 1957. I see right. this everywhere, everywhere. And I and and I believed it for a little bit, and then I was like, "Where is this coming from?" And I found nothing. I, it's t- I it got I'll, to the I'll tell you where it came from. <laughs> Fori, Fori. Was that, okay? Is that okay? Because I know Steve Archer's yeah. O'Brien book has a. The only yeah. mention of it is in a caption under a photo that that mentions one of the spiders in the trunk that I think David Allen came came by from yeah. Obi's stuff, and it says it was used in the Black Scorpion. Right. It does not surprise me that that's a Forey thing. But, um, I mean, I, I even ended up, I wrote an article for it in, in a, a fanzine, and I, I even consulted with Mark Wolf and Ernest Farino, the, the effects artists 
and stop mm-hmm. motion kind of uh, experts, and and they they said the same thing. There's like they were like there is no, there is nothing to back this up in existence. Right. And right. Right. I think like to me it should be kind of obvious just because the uh, there's like over 20 years <laughs> between those two movies and it's like yeah you know almost this, 25 right yeah, yeah. yeah. um so and though those creatures were built out of um rubber rubber doesn't last for 25 yeah years, so, yeah so yeah. i yeah. i take it you never cross a case uh, i because i had to bring this up just to kind of for mm-hmm. some self-assurance you never came across anything that would indicate that right no never okay. i never have <laughs> Yeah, um, I know the, the Ackerman said it because there is that there is that picture of a of a, of a spider creature from the pit. It's one of the test yeah. photos, and you know if you're not looking too closely, sure they have a. I mean, you know the models were all built by the same people, uh, but but it it doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. It never did. Um, plus, those if those models were still in existence, and I know there's the story about them getting taken and all of that but they they, you know there's there's evidence that they were in the rko lockers until the late 50s like they weren't going to let them just go in and take them and and yeah no they yeah um can i debunk the other one yeah the one the one that drives me yeah what's that (laughs) the spider pit sequence um never filmed that's it. End of. <laughs> it was never filmed. There is no lost spider spit sequence, and that's that. <laughs> so um, okay, yeah. well, see, that's that's a little bit of a um, yeah. that is a little bit of a curveball because mm-hmm. there's that uh, there's that note from Cooper that mm-hmm. said that he screened it for like an executive or something, and that it stopped yes. the movie. Yes. So. Cooper it, made up a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, okay. All right. You're, you're you're sort of blowing my mind right now. Um, yeah. And so, I'll tell you why it was never filmed. But ask ask me the question. Okay. First. So, so the, my next thing was yeah. those photos. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. behind the scenes photos that came from O'Brien's uh, estate yep. or whatever. What, what were those? So were those just test photos? Yep. Okay. That's exactly what they were. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I'm not sure if it was Cooper that said it. It might have been his, uh, O'Brien's wife, I think, said that he was really proud of the Spider Pit sequence and considered it some of his best animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's unpack. I've all heard that. that. Yeah. So so okay. So 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 let's unpack all this. Um, okay. Okay. So what? Yeah. So I'm going to give you the room to kind of unpack what the deal is with the spider pit, <laughs> spider right. pit sequence. Well, here's the thing: you always hear about the lost spider pit sequence. How come you never hear about the lost rooftop jump sequence or the lost triceratops in the tar pit sequence? Um, and the reason you don't hear about them is like the spider sequence; they were never filmed. Uh, the original script of Kong, and it's in it's in the screenplays. Um, it, you know, you can if you look up the original uh, writing, there was there's a sequence when Kong is going through the the jungle where he encounters a mother Triceratops and her two babies, and uh, one or more of them is stuck in the tar pit, and I, I he goes to get them or some and they end up having a fight. Okay, I know there's a big fight around a tar pit, and then um, 
then there is the spider pit sequence, and then there is what the original escape from the theater in New York. In the current film, he knocks down the Third Avenue L, the subway. Um, in the original cut of the film, that was a last-minute film sequence. Uh, Kong was supposed to go up on the roof of the hotel, and where um, where uh, uh, Jack and Carl Denham come out, and they're like, "We gotta, you know, get the spotlights. We gotta chase him." There was a whole sequence where Kong jumped from building to building, tracked by. Uh, floodlights by police floodlights and that's how he made his way to the empire state building so those were three sequences that were in the original script there are um some uh production illustrations because they were planning to do the scenes and most of the sets were built for it and there were test sequences but the thing about king kong is what what people don't one of the weird things people say about oh is this b movie it's like kong was not a b movie kong was a really expensive film it cost at the time double like like what an a picture was in those days a big budget studio spectacular it cost twice what the average um, spectacular was and and it had budgetary issues and and basically they were told you have to cut back on some of the sequences because this movie is just costing way too much and cooper made a decision he cut the tar pit sequence he cut the spider pit sequence and he cut the jumping from rooftop sequence the quote you always hear from cooper is he said well it's uh, it stopped the story dead and he's right it did stop the story dead because it, it would have been a five minute sequence that um, involved not Kong. It would have involved all these other uh, characters, but it wouldn't have involved Kong. And from a pacing point of view, I understand why they cut it, okay? Like, because it would have slowed the movie down. But the reason that I know it was never filmed is really simple. If you look at the production reports, it was never on the schedule. All the scenes in the movie that are in the film are on the production schedule. And I'm talking both about the animation production schedule and the live action shooting, because there was a live action portion and there was a um, there was uh, a, a miniature unit. They never filmed it. It's not in any of the production reports. And if you look at the at the production screenplay, those three sequences are all X'd out in the production screenplay um, because they knew they weren't going to film them. So and, where did those um, yeah. photos come from? The, the photos were tests. They had built the sets. Mm-hmm. And they built the sets for all three sequences. And even the, the, um, the jumping from rooftop to rooftop sequence, the buildings were re-photographed. Those are the background buildings when Jack and Denim come up on the roof. So they repurposed some of that. Um, but um, the, So the sets were all built, and they shot tests for everything. Like They were, they were going along making the movie. They were intended to shoot it, but mm-hmm. it got to a point where it's like, we can't afford to do these sequences. You know, basically cut the ones you don't think are necessary. And Cooper cut all the ones that were necessary. I don't know why he told that story about um, having it in a preview, except I think in his mind... It could have been entirely memory. Possible. I mean... Yeah, I, well, it, my thought is, he. I think he was really excited about the sequence, and I think he was disappointed it wasn't in there. But Cooper tells a lot of stories. Like, right. He told a story about... The way where he got the idea for the Empire State Building ending was he looked up and he saw um, a biplane flying by the Empire State Building 
and he imagined a giant gorilla up there, and that's where the idea for Kong, and you will see that repeated all over it. That is not where the idea came from. The biplanes and weren't even in the script to like the fifth draft of the screenplay. <laughs> so, so Cooper, you know, he's a storyteller. He made up stories, you know. Um, Dino said the big robot Kong performed, performed all of the action in the in right. his movie Kong. <laughs> you know, the guys make up stuff. Um, yeah. But, Do you yeah, think but there's... that's why... That's why you'll never find that scene because it doesn't exist. Do you think there's any (laughs) chance that maybe there was some test animation done for it? I'm sure there were tons of test things done for for all of yeah. it, but nothing that not, no official production yeah. on it. So if, um, if mean, got, any yeah. footage existed, it would have been like an animation test. Yeah, but I that stuff wouldn't exist because they they that stuff they did burn in those days, and yeah. maybe that's what Cooper was referring. Yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, but, but, I, that, but that's probably have, the most likely middle ground yeah. between all of this. No. I, I'm I'm convinced of it because you also have to remember how the sets were done. They had one big soundstage at RKO, which is now Paramount, and they had all like you know six or seven or eight of these miniature sets built in different parts of the stage. I think all the sets were built. I think they shot tests on everything, um, you know, and and that's where those uh, still frames. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's only because those still frames came up. That people said, oh, this is, you know, there aren't any tests that I've seen of the tar pit sequence. So that's, you know, nobody ever says, oh, that was filmed. There are test shots of the building, the jumping from building to building sequence. Nobody runs around saying that got filmed. You know, I've seen the test shots from that. Unfortunately, (laughs) any animation tests or any film tests, yeah, Yeah. like you said, they used to just burn stuff (laughs) willy-nilly back then so well when you do special effects you do this thing called a wedge test and a wedge test is an basically it's an exposure test and and that's what when they say they shoot tests and things that is often what they're referring Mm -hmm. to what you're looking for is the right exposure to make and i'm sure with animation tests they had to figure out you know what the right flow the number of actions per moment were so i have no doubt there was tons of stuff but that stuff went right to the burner right after that like they they never saved any of that stuff so Um, yeah wow um yeah and uh and maybe again if it's a test you know maybe this is what they're referring to but also um yeah people have talked about how the actual sequence would have probably only been like 20 to 30 seconds long um maybe yeah yeah. But that that, that kind of leads into my next question. Did you happen to see Peter Jackson's stop motion? I mean, I, I know you must have, but yes, Peter Jackson's stop motion recreation of it? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But, yeah. I, yeah. but uh, like, uh, I, def- I know there's, like, some fan edits where they, uh, like, wedge that in there, but uh, it, it's interesting <laughs> yes. be- just because the original sequence would have been, like, a few seconds in Peter Jackson's, mm. you know, is like, uh, like five minutes or something. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Way too much. Um, <laughs> so. uh, this is actually a question, a, a listener submitted, uh, and I'm not sure, again, this is more theoretical stuff that might not be an answer for, but, um, do you know if Kong took any influence from HP Lovecraft or vice versa? Lovecraft uh, was around till thirty seven, so I don't right. I don't know that there's any uh, record or or anything of him seeing it the same way that you know people know he he saw Dracula and Frankenstein, but right, right. I you know I don't know. I would 
guess not, only because I wait, – what do you mean? Did he take influence from Kong or did Kong take influence More from More Kong taking influence from Lovecraft just in the way, yeah. that, you know, the island uh, – you know, it, it works with some tropes that he, he used a lot. Yeah, I, I – I would doubt it. I, I think most of those tropes came from in Kong come from the Lost World. Oh yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's more Conan Doyle and and a little bit Paul Shalou. Oh yeah, um, that, they were I, so, so yeah. afraid of being sued that they bought the they, <laughs> they, they bought, bought the rights. The rights That's to right. The Lost yep. World. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, there was a good reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um. All right, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a, a hard detour here, and we're gonna start mm-hmm. scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit more. Okay. Um, have you given any of the animated Kong iterations a shot? Uh, some of them. I the King Kong show I've seen the sixties one. I've seen some of the one that came out in around the time of. Um, of uh, the Jackson one, uh, that was a little more. Uh, Kong was drawn a little more like a superhero. Yeah, right. right. Um, you know, they're they're fun, but you know, they're they're fine. <laughs> have you <laughs> have you tried to watch the one that Netflix did a few years back? Uh, probably not. I'm not familiar <laughs> with that one. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to look. That, for that one. one. That is, one. That that isn't the one from 2000. No. The, okay. So there's there's three I'm talking about. Yeah. There's the King Kong show, which was the basis for King right. Kong Escapes. Yes, um, right. Which I, well, I, I which I, I think, yeah. <laughs> which I think people and I love King Kong Escapes. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. crazy fun. I think more people would be forgiving of it if they realized it was literally a live action version yes. of a Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> yes. show. Um, I think so too. But yeah, then there's the uh, the one that was in the early 2000s, which was like a 2D animated one, and then Netflix a few years ago did one called Kong King of the Apes. Which was all oh, C- oh, no. okay. CG animated. I will have to look for that. I didn't see that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it ran two seasons. Uh, I mean, mm. it's Netflix, so it just stays there. Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. Right. Yeah. If the other version, I'll, uh, hmm, what's an easy way to say? It? If the other version's audience was like maybe eight to ten year olds, that one's mm-hmm. audience is like six to eight year olds like it's really okay. really kidified uh, okay okay um, uh but have yeah, you seen the, the mighty kong uh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that one that one is that one's rough <laughs> yes i agree <laughs> um so speaking of these uh animated iterations um not the King Kong show. I know that one was uh, directly licensing the character from RKO. Um, so the King Kong rights issue is insane. Mm-hmm. It's convoluted yes. and it's nuts. Um, that is correct. <laughs> so the, <laughs> so the, the later two cartoons... Often, and I, this is one of those things that I see people say, but I don't have like a source. I've never been able to find one. I've never been able to research it and find it. But they say that those were unlicensed. Um, hmm. But I don't know how that would be possible. And I, I've heard some people yeah. say, I, like, I am not like a copyright, trademark, legal ex- expert. But right. I, I know that there was a novel, a King Kong novel that was 
published like independently. Yes. I forget what it's called, right. but King, King Kong. <laughs> it was a novelization of the film. Yeah, yeah, but but someone wrote a sequel, a King Kong sequel, and they said legally they were able, to, and I don't even know if they consulted anyone, but they, they claimed legally they were able to do it because the novelization right. is public domain. So I'm wondering if it's true that those animated versions are unlicensed, was that a case where they, like can say, oh, we're using this character from this public domain novelization. Like, Kong is in such a weird gray area that things like that confuse me. Well, I I don't know about the animated series. I I think it's probably unlikely that they're unlicensed. Only because the lawsuit possibilities there are so big that I don't think a financing company would be willing to risk it. Now, now the way the Kong things break down is this. It, it is confusing. Warner Brothers owns the rights to the original King Kong and to the, the Son of Kong. Um, Canal Plus in Europe owns the rights to King Kong 76 and, and King Kong Lives, although the distribution rights for King Kong 76 are permanently with Paramount uh, Pictures in the United States and Canada. Okay. The... Rest of the Kong rights, now this is where it's really confusing. The literary rights are owned by Cooper's estate run by his son, uh, Richard Cooper. All of the merchandising rights to to Kong are owned by Universal Pictures or whoever owns Universal now. I guess it's Comcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to do an animated show, and and there there is the Delos Lovelace novelization of the original film, which was went out of copyright in, I believe it was 62 or 63. And you can make an argument. If you make a Kong production, you can make an argument that you are doing a sequel to that book. But here's where that gets tricky. The only places legally you can get away with that is if you do a literal adaptation of that novel. Like The Mighty Kong. Because it, uh, sort of. The Mighty, yeah, yeah. You cannot use any of the elements that are not in the novel. And famously, the subway sequence is not in the novel. Um, that's why no other version other than the official remakes has the subway sequence. It's actually, and it's technically how Universal made Peter Jackson's movie. Because um, if you notice, there's no subway in that. There is a streetcar sequence. Because technically, Universal is making an adaptation of the Delos Lovelace novel. Although they did cover themselves with some legal contracts and things. If you do a spin-off of that novel, a sequel you have to only sequelize elements of the novel. And that becomes a little tricky because if you start elaborating on Kong, you are probably going to step on other productions. Mm -hmm. Um, So my thought is you could probably get away with it in a novel. But if I'm going to produce an animated uh, television series, I am no way opening myself up to that indemnification. What I suspect and I, I, I don't know. I'll have to look into it. But what I suspect is they have a license from Universal, probably, because okay. they could consider it a merchandising thing. Right. Okay. It's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That 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 makes sense. It isn't like that animated. Mm. Like for example, the two thousands animated series. Um, they they like don't really mention 
in any the, the, it's all very vague any any time they right. might mention anything from you know the 33 version so right would that get them around that at all if they said okay this is a sequel to that and we're only going to mm. mention it in passing and just never deal with it uh Again, it would depend on the elements. Um, but yes, my thought is I can see someone making that argument. Whether it would pass muster depends on the elements mm-hmm. that they'd use. And I, I don't know enough about all of those productions. Yes. I, you're making me think I need to find out. But, I'm um, just saying, but yeah. hey, you mentioned no, the possibility yeah. of doing another you're book. Right. <laughs> nudge, nudge, oh, wink, oh, wink. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That will all be in there. Because a lot of stuff has come up since. I mean, one of the cool things when you do a book like this is suddenly you start hearing from people who um you know who have other information yeah um and that's always that's exciting as well yeah so um yeah uh, but yeah i mean there's all sorts of legal tricks you can and legal positions you can take whether it ends up uh, holding up is a whole other story yeah. and that's that's sort of the story of copyright everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. But yeah I, I do know I've talked to some people, like, I've talked to some people at Warner Brothers and some other people about it, and people said, like, oh, boy, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot yeah. pole. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to try. Right. Yeah, I've, I've, of, I've often thought about, like, maybe I can track someone from some of these more obscure productions down, like, for the podcast yeah. and kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, the other thing is, and I, I feel like I... I feel like I I get how this went down. Um, mm. With the legendary films, I know that Skull Island originated at Universal, or it originated at Universal, and then they brought it to oh. Warner Brothers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right, yeah. you know because you, they were hesitant about mingling mm-hmm. with with the Godzilla stuff they were doing. Um, yep. This is another, maybe this is some myth-busting, but there's some confusion as to how that went down. My assumption, and from what, like, scraps of information I've been able to find, has led me to believe that, you know, okay, they made an agreement with Universal, maybe they paid them a licensing fee, and that was that, um... Because there's suddenly, and I don't even know where this comes from, and maybe you can elaborate if you know anything there's i feel like it's a misconception there's people that say because it's not a universal film that's why they can't say king kong and why they just say kong now that is contradicted when you look at some of the merchandise like some of the toys for godzilla versus kong or skull island say king kong on them um Mm -hmm. and uh in Japan, Skull Island was released as King Kong of Skull Island, I believe. Right. So, yes. yeah. so that a, kind yeah. of throws a wrench in that theory. Now, what's what makes this even crazier? It's I probably sound like a maniac, but what makes this even crazier? <laughs> um, we interviewed uh, Greg Keyes, who wrote the novelizations mm. for Godzilla vs. Kong and King of the Monsters. He said okay. that he was not able to to call him King Kong in his novelization. So it's it's weird. He said he doesn't know why, but it's weird because I'm wondering if maybe it's a merchandising thing because they're obviously willing to merchandise it as King Kong. They're obviously willing mm-hmm. to put it in the title. 
But I don't know if maybe there's something that Universal, maybe they don't want, for whatever reason, they don't want people in the, the, the books and the films to call him King Kong. I don't know if maybe it's a merchandising or a branding thing. I I, I actually suspect, I don't know, and you're giving me more topics to research, uh, which is good. <laughs> but I, I actually suspect it's probably more of a Warner Brothers issue. Yeah. Um, because Warner Brothers owns the rights to King Kong, the movie. And I think they don't, they, my guess is they don't want those things confused. Okay. Yeah. Maybe um, it is yeah. like a, a branding thing. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, they get, you know, these things get very, um, I mean, one of the reasons legendary moved it over to Warner brothers is that was the only way they were not going to get a lawsuit from Warner brothers mm-hmm. because while universal owns the merchandising rights to the character, you can argue that a merchandising right allows you to make a movie, but you can also argue, oh, no, it doesn't. And my thought is the best way to avoid that problem is have Universal finance the thing and they can get their licensing from that. I mean, uh, Legendary did a lot of the financing, but Universal can get that and then you release it to Warner Brothers and then they don't complain. (laughs) And whether it's that simple, I doubt it. Again, I don't know, but you that they that stuff gets that minute. Yeah, you know. Um, again, I I don't I'd love to sort it out, and obviously, if I'm going to be writing about the legendary movies, I'll be getting into that. And I didn't say if I said when I write about the <laughs> legendary movies. I love that you're movies. saying that, but yeah, I will. I'll get into. <laughs> I'll go. I'll have to talk to the people who who can give me a straight answer on that. But yeah. um, I can't think yeah, of a more yeah. complicated IP. <laughs> legal situation yeah. than king kong it's well it's yeah it's it shows you i mean cooper's argument and i have to dig into that i haven't looked at that stuff in a long time his argument for owning the rights to the character was always on kind of shaky ground mm-hmm. because there were no agreements that said that yep um but the court did award it to him so i mean that's where things stand now and um you know the the guy who got away scot free was dino because um you know, the, he gets to just own his movie, you know, right. <laughs> like, they, like, like once that was all done, they didn't have all those worries, you know? So. Uh, so, okay. So, okay. So if I'm like, Oh, I'm a, I don't know. I'm like a, a mini major. I want to make a King Kong movie. Like who do I mm-hmm. even talk to? Do I talk to universal? It depends on what you want to do. If you want to <laughs> do a remake, you got to talk to Warner Brothers. Okay. <laughs> or you make an argument that you are adapting the out-of-print novel and you just hope Warner Brothers doesn't come after you. And, okay. Um, and then... Yeah. So, so Universal, did they... Ha- so, so their loophole was the novelization? Yeah. Could, um, yeah. Now this is a, this is even more complicated. This all comes out of 1976, and and what happened is uh, Dino optioned the rights to make a remake of the original film from RKO um, at that time, RKO General, and Universal had also been negotiating for the rights, and they thought they had a deal, and then Dino got the deal, and Universal got mad, and they filed all these lawsuits, and. Because they were, and basically the judge ruled against them. They said, Dino has a signed contract. You do not have a signed contract. So Universal got mad at RKO and did lots of lawsuits. Meanwhile, in the earlier in the 70s, um, Jim Danforth and uh, he had a creative partner whose name is escaping me, they had looked into, they had wanted to do a Kong remake. 
And they had looked into the matter, and that's where it was discovered that the Delos no uh, Lovelace novelization was out of copyright. Um, they actually found that out, and I guess when Danforth had been hired to do the animation on the universal version of Kong, and I guess he told them when, when basically they lost the lawsuit against RKO, he said, well, you know, it's, it's, in, um, it's in the public domain. And so Universal, when Bo Goldman wrote his screenplay, um, you know, it, it's very carefully adapted out of the novel and it doesn't contain elements from the finished film. And Universal's position was, we're not doing a remake of the movie King Kong, we're doing an adaptation of this public domain novel. Now, there were a lot of lawsuits between Universal and RKO over that. Ultimately, it, the, the lawsuit came out that it was ruled the novel is in the public domain. And, um, and, that, and, that, and when Universal, they settled deals with Dino and Paramount to just let them go forward. And they said, we will not produce our movie for at least 18 months after the Dino version. But they never got the rights from RKO. They, they maintained, we can make this movie as this adaptation. Now, they didn't wait 18 months. They waited... 29 years right. but that's that's still what that was based on so and that's why yeah so even though they own the merchandising rights could universal make their own like original king kong movie i they can't make they can't make again <laughs> they, they cannot do anything that's a spin-off of the original film they can only make something in the vein of either a, a new version or they can make an argument they're making a a sequel to the public domain novel okay um but but they will run into trouble from warner brothers if they step over the line i don't know if you're familiar with the thunderball james bond rights but there's a big similarity there too um Thunderball was the one novel that the that the Eon Productions didn't get the rights to because there was a lawsuit, and this guy Kevin McClory had the rights, and basically he had the rights to Thunderball, but he could only do things that were remakes of Thunderball, and that was the only thing he was allowed to do, and that's why Never Say Never Again is a remake of Thunderball, and why mm. you know he kept saying I'm going to make my own James Bond series. And basically, you know, Eon Productions and United Artists said, go ahead, try it, <laughs> you know, and see see how much we tie you up in court. And I sort of believe that's the issue with Kong. Okay. You know, so, like, like you could try it. So, so you think the reason Warner Brothers was cool with taking Skull Island was because they owned the original yes. movie? I, I can't tell you this for a fact, but my guess is if you let us distribute it and you give us that percentage of the profits, we will not sue you. Huh. And I, I'm going to guess that was what the deal was. Yeah. It, this is all in, insane. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very crazy. Um, very crazy. Even when I understand it, it's like I don't. <laughs> right, 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 um, right. Okay, well, I mean, you've, you've, you've said it a few times now. So should we expect a second edition of the book? Uh not tomorrow, but yes, you should expect oh one. Oh my god, um, that's I'm, gonna uh, be yeah. That's working on it now. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, if yeah. you could devote like a whole section to this legal <laughs> stuff, I will and I try and explain you. it as I simply will. as possible. <laughs> I, I have to go understand it, but once I understand it, I'll try to. Explain yeah, I, it. <laughs> like consult consult some 
trademark yeah. lawyers or whatever you gotta oh, do. Oh, absolutely. Well, I can't wait to go. I want to talk to people at Legendary and say, "So, what did you guys? How did you guys work this out?" <laughs> but uh, we'll, we will get there. Yeah, for sure, and for sure. and like I, I mean, even if you could track down the people that made those animated versions, like there's yeah, there's you've so given much. Me, you've given me roads to travel <laughs> it, it, well, it, it's kind of like the genesis of the book the first version is like mm-hmm. there's all these other things that happened that no one really knows the history of so yes right, I, right. okay that's that's awesome um uh so obviously king kong has a lot of imitators the same way you know godzilla you have gamera you have these mm-hmm. other characters, you know, Kong has Konga, the mighty Peking man, ape. Um, <laughs> it, are, are, are you? Are there any of those other uh, versions that that are these imitators that you have a soft spot for? Well, I have a soft spot for all of them. Whether whether they're all good, <laughs> whether I say they're good movies is a different thing. Um, I like Conga because it's bonkers because a little chimp turns into a giant gorilla and then turns into a stuffed chimp. I <laughs> yes. think that's awesome. I um, like I'm a, I, I like Conga movie. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mighty Konga Peking Man laugh. is probably my favorite of the Kong ripoffs. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, there were there were well, is Mighty King. Which is the one where he gives the finger to the camera? That's, that's Mighty. Ape. Is it? That's yeah. Ape. I like that one. Yeah, because he gives the finger. To yeah, the, no, and he's wearing a carpet. Yeah, so that's great. <laughs> and there's certain parts where you can see the sneakers yes. in the, on the feet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, um, so I guess the, re- the your most recent Kong related project uh, I I, I want to kind of get into a little bit, and that is the mm-hmm. Scream Factory Blu-ray of the '76 movie. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, as you've said both here and in your book, um, the divisive movie, but you're 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 uh, someone that that really loves it. So how how mm-hmm. did you get involved with this release? Did they come to you? Yeah, they actually um, they they contacted me because I, I think off of the book and um, wanted to know if I would if I would do the commentary and I was honored to because I as I, I've said this about the film a number of times like I do not think it is a classic on the same level as the original film. The original film is a, is a, is an incredible original creation and a and a real cinematic landmark and masterpiece. But I do feel the 70s Kong has gotten a really unfair rap over the years. Because first of all, there's so many myths about it that aren't true. And second <laughs> of all, I think I well, yeah, I mean it's it talk about one where they just keep repeating stuff. It's like, you guys, come on, do the research. But um but I also feel that it's it is a flawed film. Absolutely. Not saying it's not, but I think it offers a lot and contributes a lot, and I think it has an awful lot to recommend it. And I just wanted to get a fair shake. That's that's how I feel about it. Um, and I I feel of the three major versions of Kong, it is the second best. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I will I will always defend that film. You know, um, because I get a, I get a little tired of the swipes people take yeah. at it who clearly haven't watched it yeah. or who, who have only sort of, they watched it years ago and they're just regurgitating stuff. They saw on Wikipedia mm. or something. It's like really give the film a watch. And, what, and what, are, what do you, you can, what do you think are the most common, I guess, uh, falsehoods or myths around that, that one? Um, yeah, you, sorry, you're breaking, you're breaking up a little bit, but I, I, I got to just your question. Um, 
Uh, the first is that it was a financial failure. It was not. It was actually a sizable hit. It just what it didn't do was beat Jaws as the number one film at the box office. And unfortunately, the studio and Dino were all kind of running around saying they thought it would beat Jaws. So it didn't beat Jaws. But many, many movies didn't beat Jaws. Um, but somehow that got turned into the movies of financial flop. It that was not that a reminds flop. me of, uh, that's very yeah. similar to the 1998 Godzilla, which I, I don't think the yeah. movie is very good. And, and it has a kind of, <laughs> uh, it has a rightful reputation as something that was a mistake. But if you actually look at the box office numbers, it was right. a hit. It did yeah, very yeah. well. Yeah, that this is where people, they, they, they exchange their feelings for something or what they want to be true for what's true. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing that I find frustrating is where it keeps getting referred to as a campy movie. Mm -hmm. um, it has some self-aware humor in it, and some of which I think works and some of which I don't think works, but it's not a campy movie. And, and I just I find that such an, a lazy way of referring to the film. Um, so there's that. Um, and and I, I you know and I I will admit I'm not a big fan of the '76 one. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't I wouldn't call it campy. And, yeah, and I, I will yeah. say as the host of a kaiju podcast, I that is not a negative term <laughs> to me. Well, no, it's it's it, it's it's not unless I, I like what I find is it's a lazy thing. When it when a thing is not campy, campy yeah. is intentional. And and the thing is, I'm not a big fan of camp, but it has its place. And and the thing is that that um, when a thing is intentionally campy, okay, then judge it on that merit. I I, I find with Kong seventy six, it's a lazy, um, it's a, it's just a lazy way of writing about yeah. it. Um, so I think that's the other myth which I just love is the constant carry this probably isn't a myth but it's a thing you read all the time everyone's like de Laurentiis tried to swindle the world by telling everybody it was the big giant robot you know and 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 read any uh, contemporary account of the making of the movie they all mention rick baker they all you know it's like it's like like they've they've come up with this idea that somehow they were you know it's publicity it's movie publicity it's yeah. what they do okay um those are the three biggest things that are frustrating with it, I think. Well, with, with and, Rick Baker, yeah. was was it after that, I forget what magazine it was, that, that came and saw him Time. on the set? Yeah, Time was it after the Time right. article that they were more open about that? They were more open about it, but also, if you read the Bruce Barenberg making of book, um, which was you know written from a publicist's point of view, but that book had to be finished and prepared um, by sort of the end of the summer in order to be ready to be out by December. And and that means that was before the Time Magazine thing came out. And if you read it, Rick Baker is all over that book. Mm -hmm. Like, w were they doing publicity around the big robot? Absolutely. Were they were they hiding the like? It's that it's just it's it's silly writing from people who aren't doing their homework. So. Um. I noticed that you're listed as a producer on some of the other features on that disc. What was your involvement on other parts bes besides your own commentary? Um, am I listed as a producer? I don't know. I, 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 this is yeah. a, I, I'm doing the thing that me and you probably both yeah. hate now, where we're looking at IMDb. But <laughs> IMDb has you listed oh, yeah, as like yeah. a producer on the okay, some yeah. of the interviews. I, I or know whatever. I, 
I get a lot of special thanks in it. Um, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm a producer on it. I have to look <laughs> again, but, um, uh, basically what I, I, uh, the producer is this great guy, Justin beam. And, um, I connected him with a lot of the interview subjects okay. for the special features. And there's a lot of photographs on the disc. Like a lot of the black and white stuff is from me as well from my collection. So I, I was involved in it, but I, I wasn't. A okay. Yeah. Um, well, what went into, you know, researching the, the commentary track? Did you, did you do any new original research or anything to prep for that? Um, not, I, I didn't do much new research beyond what I must say is this. I've never stopped researching the Kong films, even mm-hmm. though the book came out a number of years ago, I've kept going. I've learned a lot of new things about all of the movies, uh, since then. Some not, not too many things that would radically change some of the things I wrote, but a few things that, that are significant that you'll see when I update the book. And so what I did do is I incorporated the new stuff that I learned into into my notes for the commentary so that it's as accurate as I have information up. To, I did the commentary back in December. Okay. So like up until December, it says all the facts in there are as recent as I could make them, some of which are different from the book yeah. uh, because I've, I've learned new information since. Um, so th- I did that. And then I what I did is originally a lot of those commentaries are um, – uh, uh, sort of extemporaneous, you know, someone will turn on the movie and just watch the film and talk while the movie's on, except that the the producer of the disc, he wanted a lot of different things in the commentary. He wanted me to definitely talk about the film, but he also wanted me to talk about the history of the Kong character, and he also wanted me to talk about Kong as a cultural figure, and all of that seemed like too much to just wing so what I did is I pre- I prepared a pretty formal outline of of and tried to figure out where watching the film it would be best to talk about each thing because there were certain places that I wanted to definitely address what was happening on the screen and then there were other places where like you know if I talked over it it probably wouldn't matter that mm-hmm. much so I did do a lot of prep work that way and then I just went I kind of wrote out each section and then uh, you know. Uh, performed it as as yeah. we went along I, you know that's how it was done. it's uh no it's a great release um your commentary tracks really good mm. and and rick baker's interview that was repurposed that's as terrific a, it's yeah great. And, and i yeah. i really hope that be, i i think he was probably able to get a lot off his chest there and i i don't know i yep, hope that yep, people yep. not that he not that people don't know or pe- he doesn't get any credit but i do hope that people start looking at at him i guess in a more uh, I guess elevated light, uh, you know. After hearing all of his stories and stuff, just you know, you mean I had in no terms idea. of call, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had oh, no yeah, idea yeah. that he, you know, was supervising the giant, the building, constructing, constructing the hands and and things like that. Yeah. So, and I know he knew about it before he he knew he was going to be uncredited and and all that. You know, right. but it, it, just knowing all the stuff he did for it, you know, even I feel a little bit of that like sting at the, at the very end when it just says with contributions from Rick Baker, right, you know. Right, and so, right. So he Rick is still, you know, he's got his feelings about that. Yeah, but he he actually <laughs> he actually talked about them quite a bit in that yeah. in that uh, yep. in the interview. I thought it was great, and yeah. um, yeah, and the thing that I feel about 
Kong 76 also that's really important, okay, is, is that, and I've said this in the commentary and I said it in my own book, so it'll, you know, if anybody has heard or read that, this will not be a new idea, but it's important. Um, the original Kong was a groundbreaking special effects movie in many ways, but most significantly in stop motion animation. The 1976 Kong is, a, is, is equally groundbreaking in the use of makeup audio animatronic mm-hmm. creatures. The facial, like the big robot didn't work. I absolutely, it didn't work. The, the, um, gorilla suit leaves a lot to be desired. You know, in some places it looks great and in some places it doesn't look great. Those masks are groundbreaking. And 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 you think about up until the CG era, all of the makeup effects that were done all through the 80s, the rest of the 70s, all through the 80s and even into the 90s as CG started to take over, all owe something to that cult, to it's mostly Rick, but there are contributions in there from Carlo Rambaldi. Yeah, and isn't Isidoro that one of the only Rapone. things they actually kind of collaborated? Yes, on? Yeah. yes. That, that yeah, for all the credit Carlo got, that's about the only thing he really contributed to the film. But they, it works wonderfully, and and that's really important about that movie. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing that's important about that movie, or in terms of special effects, is those hands. Yeah, those hands are uh, an inc- they, they worked good, as yeah. well. They yeah, they worked as well as the robot didn't work well. Um, <laughs> but there's all sorts of reasons for that. And just I don't know if where I don't know if you know this or not, but I'll say this here: we rescued one of the last remaining hand about three years ago, and it's with the the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences oh, wow. Museum. Where was that? And it's. Uh, well, it was in North Carolina. There's all reason it was in North Carolina, but basically, uh, the museum is restoring it. It, we, I don't. It will probably be a few years before it goes on display. But we did save one of those hands, and it's nice. uh, it'll it, someday it will be on display. Not, that's not that's immediately, amazing. but someday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you, do you so. ever hear the stories about what happened with the the big <laughs> the big robot suit? It started like yeah. It was shown yep. up as like a sideshow attraction in, in it went, well, what, third world it was, countries um, or something. Dino, Dino sent it to Brazil. It was at an amusement park. And then it went Venezuela, maybe. It went to another amusement park. And then it came back, and it was in storage for 10 or 15 years out in, um, in, uh, by the airport in Los Angeles. And then it got shipped to North Carolina when Dino opened the studio there, and then sadly it kind of rotted away. Didn't it just but yes, like, did, I do. Not, it, it wasn't it like stuck in a on a beach or something for. for no, uh, no, that it was it was in an amusement park at a beach. Okay, that's probably what I'm the thinking. Amusement of, park, yeah. yeah, the amusement park closed down, and then, uh, but also the Styrofoam Kong, the one that was at the World Trade Center, that went to another amusement park in Italy, and as far as I know, it's still there. I might I might be wrong about that, but it was still there like ten years ago. I don't know if it's still there now. But um, so now that we finally have the seventy six movie on, and that really is a great release. Like anyone that's listening that doesn't have it, I would recommend it. I say that as someone that, like I said, I'm not even like that big of a fan of that movie, but it's mm-hmm. one of those where mm-hmm. like every like the it's almost like the making of that movie to me is more fascinating yeah. than the movie like the great yeah it's yeah. it's one of those stories where it's like 
so much stuff went wrong so much stuff like they were able to work through like it's it's and and both the commentary tracks on there go into that and it's it's an amazing release um, they, they did a really nice i was really happy with they so did a really nice job that leaves us with one live action kong movie that is not on blu-ray and that is king kong lives Yes. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I, you know, I don't even know if you know, but it, it, where where is that? <laughs> you know, I'm surprised. Where, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised no one's done that yet. At uh, least there's like an I, attempt to cash in on the newer stuff. Here's what I will say about that. Um, just wait. Oh my That's gosh! That's what I will okay. say about that. Okay. <laughs> I can't say any more right. than that. I, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's it's an awful movie, but I would I would totally buy a, a King Kong is Blue. <laughs> it's one of those movies where I like it for like all the wrong reasons, you know. Sure. But I sure. But yeah. Um. So I mean, we're we're kind of winding down now. Um. So just in terms of, you know, there's rumors of you know. Um, I don't know that Legendary is going to be striking a, uh, a renewal for any of the Toho monsters, but it does sound like they are still willing to do some things with Kong. You know, there's rumors that um, one of the ideas they're thinking about is a Son of Kong movie. Um, where do you, as a fan, where like where do you want to see the character next? Like, what what do you want from the next Kong movie? Like another remake a, a reboot would you like to see them maybe continue the current continuity and maybe correct some of the things that you feel like they might have been dropping the ball on what would you like to see personally whenever kong shows up next right um i don't know if we need another remake i i, I think don't either pro- <laughs> yeah we probably had that i i don't love the legendary ones enough that i just need to see more of that but i do think what i um if they were going to do another one, what I'd like them to do is come up with a story that is about Kong, not about military guys on an island, and not about Godzilla. I, I'd like them. To, I'd love them to elaborate on the um, the uh, sign language thing. Yeah. Just to, I, I'd like them to create a really good connection between Kong make, and make a human her character. The main character. Yeah, something like that. And my thought, if they were going to go off of that. Um, and develop and develop a story that had some real mythic undertones mm-hmm. to it, um, which I think they they made a sort of an attempt in this last one, but um, you know where they did that whole underground kingdom thing. Although I thought that 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 leads too many questions about <laughs> is Kong really sentient or what, whatever. <laughs> right. it is. But so I mean that that all seemed a little silly to me. But the thing is, I'd like them if they're going to do another Kong movie. It should be something, obviously, with spectacular action, but also with some kind of mythic underpinning. And I'm, I'd be totally okay if they go with the little girl who yeah. can talk to him with sign language. Take those elements and do something really cool with them. I mean, I don't have a story about Kong that I'd be burning to tell because I do think, in a certain way, the Kong story is the Kong story. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if there's hundreds of things you can do with him outside of the framework of that story. But, um, but you know, there's probably a few things, but I, I'd like them to be a little less uh, frenetic yeah. also. A little, it is kind of interesting. Tell a story. It is kind of yeah. interesting that, 
I don't know the. I don't know that. I guess they they don't they haven't really cracked the because like the what you say about the Kong story is the Kong story. It's mm-hmm. true, but uh, like, but then I'm thinking like, okay, like for Godzilla for, to compare, I think the strength of that is that they're 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 just willing to plug him into just different situations constantly, and it's like, why yeah. doesn't that work for Kong as well? Um, I mean, in in a couple ways because it also depends on what Godzilla you're talking about. Like, if you're talking about the original Godzilla. Um, he, he is a, a horrifying force of nature. And I think they've told that story in the original Godzilla movie. Yeah. Um, if you're going to make him a heroic giant monster, basically you have to stick him into stories where he beats up evil giant monsters, mm. but that's okay. That's fair. I mean, that's a way to use the character and that's pretty much how they use him. Um, with Kong, I think, be, you know, I think you could, you could do that. But I don't think that's what's special about Kong. In a way, if you're going to do that, it's probably better if you do it with Godzilla because in a way, that's what modern... By modern, I mean anything after the original film. That's what Godzilla the hero is about. Mm-hmm. Kong is Kong is about something else. Well, I, it's yeah, about, I, I, yeah. think, I think Kong, I mean, being a gorilla, you know, he, he is a more human character, so he needs, yes. he needs yeah. to have more, I guess... He needs to he needs to be more involved with the human cast than Godzilla would, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it needs it needs more human inter- interaction and it needs and this isn't quite exactly the right word, but it needs more heart in some yeah. way, either yeah. the tragic heart or something else. You can still have him beat up giant monsters, but the problem is that's not really what's very interesting about him. Yeah. So, so you gotta, you can't just do that. It's it, gotta, yeah, it's, it's that, almost yeah. like it's almost like yeah. the two characters. What works about them are complete opposite from one another. It, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Godzilla is like a um, sort of a force of nature kind of character. Kong is a character. Yeah, right. Kong you know, is. He, he, yeah. Kong is a yeah, character. He can have an arc. You know. Yes. Yeah. And you need to pay attention to that, um, and and because otherwise it's just another giant monster beating up another giant monster, and that can be fine. Except the problem with all of, it's kind of the problem with the Jurassic Park movies. You can do a dinosaur attacking people, but when you do it ten times in a movie and then five movies, where it gets boring, right? Because it's yeah. it's ultimately not that interesting. It, mm-hmm. It's interesting once; it's not interesting thirty times. And that's the thing with Kong. You, you, you can't, you can have a, like, that was one of the problems with Skull Island. He wanders through and fights with a couple of animals. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It's not interesting, you know? Um, so I guess, I guess that's my thought on that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, obviously the original movie will always stand on its own mm-hmm. as a classic. And, you know, we're nearly yes. 90 years later and it's still, you know, they're, and they're still making Kong movies. They're probably going to make yep. Kong movies until we are dead. Mm-hmm. You know, after yes. until after we're dead. Probably, you know, probably long after. We're, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's one yeah. of those things where, like, if the new Kong, it's I, and I feel the same about Godzilla. It's like, oh, the new one bombed. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, big deal. Just wait, yeah, in twenty, yeah, years, in 10, yeah. 15 <laughs> years, they're going to make more. You know, it, it, th- right, like exactly. these are these characters are institutions. They're set in stone. They're never going away. What What do you think 
it, 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 do you think it's just the impact of the 33 film? What about Kong do you think resonates so much with children and adults all over the world, basically for the rest of time? <laughs> well, he, he's, he's an ape, and obviously we are we connect with apes in a way we don't with any other creature because they're so close to us. I think, I think people like giant, you know, I mean, I, I, I can get too analytical, but who doesn't want to be giant? Who doesn't want to be powerful? Little kids especially want to be big and powerful. So I think there's an element to that. And I think the Kong story is tragic. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 he's, what's the line, right? He was a King and a God in the world. He knew, and we bring him to civilization. That clash of the primitive and the civilization is, is again, that's one of those archetypal, uh, you know, just primitive storytelling things that always has a pull. I think Kong, bewildered in the big city, again, tragic. I, I'll just keep citing the same mm -hmm. examples. But uh, that part of the story is he's the only giant monster you really ever feel sorry for. It's true, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, Godzilla is great, but I don't feel much for Godzilla, yeah. you know. Um, I actually feel really terrible for Godzilla in the end of the original film when he's dying, you know, right, but it's yeah. like, but otherwise. Yeah, there's, there's moments yeah. in movies where you feel for Godzilla, right. but it's never the same yeah. way that. It's, right. Yeah, it's I mean, never it's, the same it's as human. Kong. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that human connection, and it's just, as I said, he comes roaring out of our subconscious, he comes roaring out of myth. And, and you cannot deny the power of those elements. There's a reason myths have been around for hundreds or thousands of years, tens of years, because they, they connect with something in us. And the idea of someone who falls for someone and is brought low by it, that, that's pretty universal, yeah. you know? <laughs> so. um, all right, well, we're, we're winding down. Besides the, the new um, disc of uh, the 76 movie, are there any recent projects that you'd like to plug or, or let people know about? Um, yeah, I, I was uh, honored to be asked to contribute to two oral histories by Ed Gross and Mark A. Altman. One uh, was called Nobody Does It Better. It's an oral history of the James Bond films. That came out about a year ago, but it's still it's out there, and people can look at that if they want. It's a great it's a history from the people who made the Bond films and then people like myself who have comments on different aspects of it. I talk a lot about the screenplays. And there's a new book from that same team called The Secrets of the Force, which is uh, basically an oral history of the Star Wars series. And I was uh, asked to contribute to that. And that'll be coming out. It's actually next week, I think. Right. Uh, I think that's when that's coming out. So um, those are two things that have popped up recently. I also recently contributed to a book called John Gillerman, The Man, The Myth, The Movies, which is a collection of essays on the work of director John Gillerman, who made The Towering Inferno, but for my purposes made The 76 King Kong. Um, and I, and I contributed Kong along with and King Kong lives. That is true. I didn't write about that, but um, I, you know, so that, so those things are coming out. And uh, if anybody wants to check out what I'm up to, I have a website, which is raymorton.com, and they can go there. And I, I try to keep that relatively up to date. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was going to be my next question. Where can people keep up with you online? Yeah. They can, they can go there, and then if they want to email me, there's an email feature on there, so they can just go ahead and contact me that way. Okay. Are you on uh, Twitter or any of, uh, any of the socials? Yes. What, a, what am I? Uh, I'm on, what am I? Ray Morton 1, I think, on Twitter. Okay. And I'm on 
the other one, Instagram, also Ray Morton one, so that people can find me there if they want to. All right, awesome. Well, Ray, that pretty much wraps us up. I mean, uh, this this was great. I as a as a lifelong Kong fan and as a longtime admirer of your book, I mean, I I got a lot out of this. Um, and uh, yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. All right, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.